This first Sunday of Advent, I'm beginning a series called Anticipation, and I'm going to be working through some passages that come from the old prophet, the Old Testament prophet Micah. So we'll look at a few of those passages in the coming weeks and look at that in light of the gospel as it prepares for Jesus. So every week through this season of Advent, we'll, we'll look at a passage from Micah and then a little something from the Gospels that connect what Micah has to say about God's Messiah coming to save his people to what the Gospels reveal about Jesus coming to save his people. So today I'm going to begin with that by taking some verses that come from Micah and also from the Gospel of Luke. So Micah chapter 2 and the Gospel of Luke, some verses from chapter 3. Now, uh, this is a bit more than what I usually read on a Sunday morning, so if you have your bulletin in front of you, the Micah passage is in there, because that's the important one that we're going to be focusing on in the series. But the Luke passage, we didn't fit all those words in. It will all be on the screen, so you'll be able to see that as we get through that, okay? So, beginning today from the prophet Micah, and I'm reading chapter 2, where the prophet writes this. Woe to those who plan iniquity. To those who plot evil on their beds, at morning's light they carry it out because it is in their power to do it. They covet fields and seize them, and houses and take them. They defraud people of their homes and they rob them of their inheritance. Therefore, the Lord says, I'm planning a disaster against this people from which you cannot save yourselves. You will no longer walk proudly, because it will be a time of calamity. In that day, people will ridicule you. They will taunt you with this mournful song. We are utterly ruined. My people's possession is divided up. He takes it from me. He assigns our fields to traitors. Therefore, you will have no one in the assembly of the Lord to divide the land by lot. Do not prophesy, their prophets say. Do not prophesy about these things. Disgrace will not overtake us. You descendants of Jacob, should it be said, does the Lord become impatient? Does he do such things? Do not my words do good to the one whose ways are upright? Lately, my people have risen up like an enemy. You strip off the rich robe from those who pass by without a care, like men returning from battle. You drive the women of my people from their pleasant homes. You take away my blessing from their children forever. Get up. Go away. For this is not your resting place, because it is defiled. It is ruined beyond all remedy. If a liar and deceiver comes and says, I will prophesy for you plenty of wine and beer, that would be just the prophet for this people. I will surely gather all of you, Jacob. I will surely bring together the remnant of Israel. I will bring them together like sheep in a pen, like a flock in its pasture. 
the place will throng with people. The one who breaks open the way will go up before them. They will break through the gate and go out. Their king will pass through before them, the Lord at their head. And then a few words from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 3. This is about John the Baptist, beginning at verse 2. It says this. During the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. He went into the country around Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked roads shall become straight, the rough ways smooth, and all people will see God's salvation. John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Now, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees. And every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hype. Uh, We get to Christmas and this season that sort of heads towards Christmas, and this is a time of year when there seems to be an awful lot of hype. You know, that was, hype meaning something where we place more expectation than what can really happen. And we see that in different ways, too. If you follow any of the uh, World Cup soccer and see in the first grouping losses already by Argentina and Germany, they didn't live up to the hype that was there. And now they have to repair something for the rest of the tournament. Or... Okay, I guess I imagine, for those that maybe watched a certain football game yesterday, in which Wolverines lived up to a hype, but remember, if you've heard the statistic that goes with it, this was the first win that the Wolverines have had in Columbus at Ohio State in over 20 years since that's happened. It took them a long time And so many years without the hype to get to this point. We build up unrealistic expectations that just cannot last and stand forever. And I wonder, around this Christmas time, how much of that takes over? As we get into that holiday season and we look forward to Christmas, how much hype goes into that? Hype where we think to ourselves that we're getting ready for the perfect holiday season with happy family and friends and gifts that abound for everyone. And we build expectations around that with a hype that we can't always meet. 
Maybe there's a year or two when everything falls into place, but it seems like ongoing year after year. That's an awful lot for us to live up to. And we don't always do that or know that or experience that. So today we're, be- we're beginning this season of Advent and we're looking at the prophet Micah and talking about something of the hype that goes into what we know and celebrate every year as Christmas. And this is kind of a dark passage, isn't it? With Micah. There's an awful lot of judgment going on in this. It doesn't sound like Micah is really building up much hype here, but it almost sounds more like a warning. And we start our Christmas season with that. But in that warning, in that judgment that we read about there, there is a glimmer of hope. And a hope that sets us on a straight path towards what it is we really celebrate as we look forward to Christmas time. So let's figure that out. Let's see what Micah has to say about hope in ways that maybe get us past or around all of the hype that goes along with it and see some realistic expectations for what it is we truly need at Christmas time. So the prophet Micah. Here's what we know about Micah, that Uh, in the Old Testament times, that he lived and prophesied during the years between 750 and 686 B.C. You know your dates that go back before date zero, they they sort of count backwards from there. So going from 750 to 686. And we know this because there are three different kings that are mentioned during that prophecy of Micah, King Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. So that's how we can sort of plot those dates when Micah lived and prophesied and what happened during that time. He would have lived and prophesied during the same time as Isaiah. So what you read about in Isaiah is similar things going on in the world at that time. Now, some of these prophecies that Micah gives, I didn't read anything from chapter 1. In chapter 1, there's a prophesied destruction of both Samaria and of Jerusalem. We're in a time already when the kingdom is divided, if you know your history of Old Testament Israel, that the kingdom of Judah to the south, where the, where the tribe of Judah was, that's where the city of Jerusalem was. They had their own kingdom and their own king. And then all the tribes to the north in the kingdom of Israel had their own king as well. So they were separated kingdoms with two different kings at that time. During this time, some significant events happen. In particular, in the year 722 is when Samaria is conquered by the Assyrian Empire. Now that would have been during the time of Micah. That this prophecy that, if you go back in chapter 1 and read about it, that Micah prophesies that Assyria will be defeated, that, that Samaria will be defeated by Assyria, that comes to pass actually relatively quickly in the time span that Micah lives. I think that sets up something that maybe is a little bit in the background that we should keep in mind here. Keep in mind that as we're going through what Micah is saying here in chapter 2, the prophecy that he's giving, that, that people would have already seen and heard and received this prophecy and knowing what he said in chapter 1, where Samaria and Jerusalem will both be defeated. They will both fall. They will both be destroyed. 
Now, maybe some people living at that time would have reacted like, yeah, sure, whatever. Yeah, you you're, don't know what you're talking about, Micah. Then, as events unfold, look at that. The entire northern kingdom falls to Assyria. That thing that Micah said about Samaria and those lands to the north, it happened. The thing that Micah warned them about, that God was going to come and allow this to take place, their destruction, it happened. Now I imagine if you're living during that time, especially if you're in the southern kingdom, in Judah, in Jerusalem, there might be a little bit of a double take here of, huh, all right, so didn't he also say that Jerusalem is going to fall too? Imagine living through that time and and perceiving that way. Huh, it seems like what Micah said is actually coming to pass. But I also imagine that there's, there's a fair amount of justifying where they are at. All right, the northern kingdom, whatever, but this is Jerusalem. This is the fortified city of Zion. This is the place where the temple of God is, where God dwells. So, okay, maybe that northern kingdom can, can go, they can fall, but God would never allow his own temple to be overrun and destroyed. That one can't happen. It took a while. It was the year 586 B.C. when the Babylonians came and conquered Jerusalem. But note by the dates there, that's over 100 years later, right? I mean, this is separated by quite a span, and it's long after the time of Micah when that part of the prophecy comes true. So this is spread out a bit. You imagine then, you imagine a group of people who lived an entire lifetime then, an entire lifetime in that southern kingdom of Judah, having known that the northern kingdom has fallen, they've been decimated, having known that the prophet Micah has said, you're next, Jerusalem, you're next, Judah, and living with that tension of, so is it going to happen to us or not? living in that time where they're living in anticipation too. But not the same kind of anticipation that we usually think about when we talk about Christmas, right? When we talk about anticipation for Christmas, when we talk about anticipation for Advent, we're talking about all the things that we associate with Advent and Christmas, hope and love and joy and peace and angels coming to sing and shepherds going to worship and sing and share the glory of God and the wise men come and bring their gifts and worship Jesus. We think about that kind of anticipation, don't we? When we think about Christmas, that's the anticipation that fills our heads and our hearts. But I want us today just to imagine for a little bit what that other anticipation would have felt like for those people who lived an entire lifetime, a whole generation in Jerusalem, knowing what was said, the prophecy that was given, knowing that part of it's already happened and the northern kingdom has fallen and will we be next? Are we next? Will we stay? 
will we be overrun and destroyed? That's who Micah is writing to. That's the experience of the world that they are living in. And Micah comes into that, and he gives them a prophecy that points something out. What he points out to them is an injustice. The judgment that Micah gives in his prophecy is not a judgment of turning away from God. He does not say to the people living in and around Jerusalem and Judah, he does not say to them, you've abandoned God. You've turned your back on God. You've stopped believing in God. He does not give them that prophecy. What he says is, you're not living out the justice and the mercy and the peace that God has given and instructed for you. That you have been overwhelmingly blessed by God. And that blessing was given for a reason, for a purpose that you may bless others. It goes all the way back to Genesis, all the way back to the very first blessing that Abraham received where God said to Abraham, I am going to bless you and through you all nations will be blessed. That the intention that God had for Abraham and all of his descendants, the Jewish people, would be that they would be blessed to a point of overflowing that blessing for others. Micah is writing to them and saying, it's not happening. God has blessed you, but you have not overflowed for others, but instead hoarded it for yourselves and taken that blessing to hang on to positions of power and wealth that keep others in poverty and oppression. That's the prophecy that Micah is giving. And he says to them, You cannot fix this yourselves. God is coming, and God will set it straight. Now, in the time of Micah, that was not a pleasant thing for them because it meant that their kingdom was destroyed. But God was going to come to do that, to correct them, to set them straight again. That's the message coming from Micah's prophecy here, that God's people needed correcting because they could not correct themselves. And in that, picking it up in the New Testament, that's what John the Baptist says too. That John the Baptist really kind of brings the same message to the people, doesn't he? That God's people need correcting, and guess what? You can't correct yourselves. God is coming to do it for you. Now, in the Old Testament, that came with an awful lot of destruction. But we know in the New Testament with Jesus that God sends his Savior to receive people in love. But the similar piece here, the piece that is common to both, is that God's people need correcting. The word that John used in in the gospel that we read today, the word that John used was Repentance. He preached a baptism of repentance. And he tells them, bear the fruit of repentance. That we are the ones that need correcting. I think that's good for us to start out with here. 
on this first Sunday of Advent because we are people who tend to want all the benefits of Christmas without the Advent, without the peace of anticipation that recognizes, but you know what? We are people who need correcting. And we can't do it ourselves. Only God can show up and do that for us, to correct us and to make us whole again. The message of the prophets then, the message that comes from Micah and the message that comes from John the Baptist is, prepare, prepare the way. That's what John says. Prepare the way because God is coming to make you whole again. Micah puts it in language, a little bit more shepherd language, that God is coming and the remnant of his people that are there, he will break open the gates that hold them in and he will lead them out to pasture and they will follow him as their king. In both instances there, in Micah and in John, there's hope that even in this recognition that we are people who need our hearts corrected and we cannot do it ourselves, there's hope, hope that comes to us. We saw it in those last verses, verses 12 and 13 of Micah chapter 2. And we also see it in what John the Baptist says in verses 7 through 9. Even though he talks about an axe that's ready to cut down the root and throw it away. But in the baptism of repentance, in bearing the fruit of repentance, God comes to us and makes us whole. We have something of an Advent hope in that. That what we anticipate, we anticipate here for God to come and correct a broken world. That God comes into a world that needs fixing. That's what we hold with Advent anticipation. A recognition, first of all, that we are broken people in a broken world. And God comes to fix what's broken. And so the message he gives to the prophets is a message to get ready. Be ready. Prepare the way for God. That these weeks that lead into Christmas, that this time of Advent for us is a time that not only prepares in getting gifts and setting up decorations and being ready for all the favorite Christmas carols that we sing. It's not just preparing for that, but it's also a preparation that says, I'm a broken person in a broken world. And God is coming to make that whole again, to make me whole again. So we get ready for that. That Advent hope that comes to us requires a response, a response that we give, a response where we come to Jesus. God invites us to come before him because he opens the way. He shows us in his word that he is the way, the truth, the life. So how do we respond? God comes to us to open a way for us to follow him. 
And maybe the question to ask for Advent season is, are we ready? Am I preparing myself for the gift of Jesus? Am I preparing myself in, in all these preparations that we do for Christmas time? Am I preparing my heart in a way that says, I need the Savior of the world. I need the Messiah to come into my life, to my heart, to change me, to renovate me, to make me whole again. That it begins with that. A recognition that goes beyond just all the things that wrap around Christmas. And even in anticipation that goes beyond all the things that we wish and hope that God would do for the rest of the world. God, change everything that's broken in the world around me. God, go rescue those who are lost and far away. But it has to come home. There has to be a point in our Advent anticipation where we get to the spot of recognizing and God... I need you to come in my heart too. I need my life to be changed as well. That I am just as lost and as broken as everyone else that we see in these prophecies. That I have no more excuses than they have. Just as those Old Testament people said, but we have Jerusalem and it's God's temple. It'll never happen here. Just as those people in the days of John the Baptist says, but we are Israelites. We have Father Abraham. God would never do that to us, that we come and all of our excuses are taken away. But I go to church every week and I tithe and I do all the right things and I have devotions and I check all the right boxes that we see from Scripture today that all those excuses that we may give still leave us in the same place that we need God to correct us. And we prepare during this season for God to come to us that we may be made whole again by Him because only God can do that with our hearts and with our lives. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for the gift of your word, and we thank you that in your word that you do promise to come to us and restore what's lost and and what is broken. God, we're sorry for the times when we have put so much hype around this Christmas season in ways that we know we can't live up to. We're sorry for the times when maybe we've been anticipating the wrong things. And Lord, even as we look to hope, joy, love, peace. May we never forget that these things come to us because we need correcting. We need a Savior. We need you to make us whole again. And so, as we sing these Christmas carols and we sing these words, come thou long-expected Jesus, may it be personal for us. We need you to come to us so we may be made whole again. Pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.